Welcome, Welcome to Nightcaller Six Foot Radio. It's January 29th, 2020. I'm echoing. Hold on. Yeah. And you're here with your host, Dustin Clark. How you doing, Dustin? <laughs> I'm doing all right. Just trying to figure out which echo I want to follow. <laughs> Hold on. Okay, is that better? <laughs> yeah, that's better. Oh my God. Yeah, um, I'm doing pretty good. Just been uh, working and working some more, and that's about it. How are you? Mm-hmm. Um, doing good. Doing good. Same. Keeping my head down, being busy. Mm. <laughs> Do you have any new Bigfoot news? Um, I don't think so. Do I? No, I don't. I had to think about it. Is that sad? Yeah, I'm sure. (laughs) Pretty pretty sure. (laughs) Pretty sure. All right. All right, you want to introduce our Uh, guest? I guess so. I guess you're chomping at the bit. All right. Um, So tonight, everybody, uh, we don't have anything between us to talk about Bigfoot-related, so we're going to bring on someone who does. Uh, We're going to talk to Jeff Stewart known as the Crypto Hulk. Um, He is out of Texas, and he is a great guy. He actually used to be a host on this show for a season or two. Um, He was a great host. Uh, He had a lot going on at the time, and so he took off so that he could um, work on his other things, which we were not mad at him. We appreciated him coming on and helping us out those two seasons. Um, So we are very happy to have Jeff on as a guest now. Jeff, how are you doing tonight? I am doing wonderful, and I am so honored to be back on Night Callers. I mean, it's like, you know, sitting here going to be talking with family you haven't talked to in a while. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Well, we're glad to have you back on and have you – so what have you been up to since you were hosting for us a couple years ago? Oh, my gosh. Let's see. Um, I have written – Two books are contributed two books in the Woodnock series of books with David Weatherly and a lot of other great, great cryptozoologists, Kim Gerhard, Law Blackburn, Nick Redfern, you know, all of those guys. It was such an honor to work with them on uh, collaborating for a book or two books. Um, did about three or four television shows since then and uh, a couple of movies. Wow, that's awesome. You have been busy <laughs> absolutely absolutely busy. we uh we did something in the woods which is a bigfoot movie um mm-hmm. with uh writer director david ford uh, it was such a great mm-hmm. great opportunity to to help out with that a little bit and then uh this great latest movie. one is man versus uh, man versus legend which is our newest bigfoot mm-hmm. movie and i actually was the assistant director I did all of the practical effects, all of the makeup, all of the prosthetics, the wounds. uh, I actually made one of the Bigfoot costumes for the movie. Uh, It allowed me to really do a lot. And that is, I will say this, one of the reasons people don't ever see me show a lot of pictures of Bigfoot and things like that that I may get, you know, blurry blob squatch, I don't believe in that. But anything else, I really don't do because of my background in special effects. Um, mm-hmm. because I do not want anyone to ever say, oh, well, he's got a background in special effects, so he could have hoaxed that. 
Uh, so, right. you know, I really, I really stay away from that. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, you know, that's probably really smart to do that. And that way kind of sucks because you can't go, you know, research and share it. Um, but we appreciate all the, all that time you're putting into everything else. Um, all these movies for us and everything, because I don't know about Dustin, but I've watched the others and I absolutely love them. So (laughs) this new one that that we've done, um, man versus legend is going to be a totally different take. It's different than any Bigfoot movie you've ever seen. And it's got Mm -hmm. so many different twists in the plot that people are going to be sitting there and, you know, there's a lot of people that say, oh, no, not another, you know, Bigfoot killer movie, you know, the serial killer Bigfoot kind of thing. Nope. Don't uh, don't bet on it. Now, I'm not saying it's not either. I'm just saying don't bet on it because there's, it's going to be different than any any Bigfoot movie you've ever seen. That's when did awesome. That one come out? That's awesome. Oops, sorry, guys. We uh, actually, right now, we are still in the editing phase. We just had to put together a, a complete movie that is not totally edited perfect and everything because we have a distributor who has now shown interest in uh, buying our movie and distributing it for us. So they required us to put together a uh, the movie, uh, a rough draft, so to speak, of the movie. And send it to them. Now, when I say we, I'm talking about my, my director and writer, David Ford, and our uh, uh, director of photography, Peyton Pierce. They are our editing team that has been working tirelessly on trying to get this uh, finished up and put together. We've got a trailer. Uh, it can be found on YouTube and things like that, Man vs. Legend. Um, uh, we're fixing to start putting together our... Um, special features for the DVD pretty soon, which is going to have commentary from myself and David Ford. Um, It's going to have a lot of behind-the-scenes footage. It's going to have where, you know, things where people just don't understand when you're out there filming in uh, August and July in uh, Texas, uh, 112, 114 degrees, and, you know, you're, you're in a big costume with a you know mask the whole nine yards and you're falling out because you're having a heat stroke kind of thing so and um i actually did uh play one of the bigfoot in the movie so that was pretty fun that's awesome yeah i met uh ford uh, at hanobi the uh the year that they released something in the woods and He's a super awesome guy. He's one of the nicest guys I've ever met. And uh, I uh, got to sit and talk to him for become, a while. Quickly become one of my best friends, uh, honestly. Um, I couldn't have, you know, I, something in the woods, I was a consultant on that and things like that. I, I didn't have, like, the, the biggest role in making that movie. I don't want it to sound like, oh, I, I directed it or anything. No, I, I consulted <laughs> with them on that movie to try to help them get some things uh, correct as far as Bigfoot and stuff like that. In my eyes, correct in my eyes, I should say. Um, mm-hmm. But whenever he wrote the script for Man vs. Legend, um, I guess I made a big enough impact on him that he messaged me and he said, man, I need I need 
you in this movie. I need you in it. I need you working on it. I want you to be my assistant director. And he said, before it's over with, he said, I don't know. I may have to have you wear a lot of hats on the film. I ended up, my credits in the film are special effects, practical effects, prop master, snake wrangler, firearms wrangler, because I was in charge of all the firearms on the movie, Uh, my goodness, assistant director, uh, costume maker. I mean, I I have like 15-plus different listings in the credits of things that I did uh, for this movie. That is awesome. That is awesome. Lucky I grew up uh, in the middle of the woods. Uh, We lived 14 miles from the nearest town. So um, when I was home, it wasn't like I could just run off and uh, go to town, play, do things like that. So I read a lot of uh, Fangora magazines. Uh, I was real big into special effects, you know, in the movies, Rick Baker, uh, Tom Savini, guys like that, you know, and uh, I actually had the chance to uh, kind of work with Tom Savini once, if everybody knows who Tom Savini is. Um, he's one of the greatest uh, special effects makeup artists uh, ever. And uh, we did a movie called Barricade Welcome to Hell uh, together. Uh, and uh, it was a German horror film about cannibalistic uh, people in the mountains of Germany. And it's like one of the most gore-filled movies. It really sucks, but it's one of the goriest movies in the world. Um, but I actually got to work with him, so that was that was like a dream come true. That was awesome. So, Jeff, uh, I know you used to host, and uh, we've had a few new listeners. Uh, why don't you tell us what got you into Bigfoot? You know, my first recollections of anything Bigfoot-related was the drive-in movie theater when I was a child. Uh, Here in our local uh, nearby town, they had a drive-in theater that was the 70s. So on the weekends, my mother and father would load my sisters and I up. They had a big cargo van, and we would go to the drive-in theater, and they would open the back doors of that van. We'd put our lawn chairs out and watch movies, and they would often play movies from like 4 or 5 o'clock in the afternoon until, you know, wee hours of the next morning, so you'd get five, six movies or more, and sometimes they would play some of the old stuff, and I remember seeing Legend of Boggy Creek, the original, uh, at the drive-in theater, and then The Creature from Black Lake. And, you know, I remember seeing those as a kid, but then once those were over, I really, you know, didn't even think about cryptozoology, Bigfoot, or any kind of monster things or anything like that until I had my own personal encounter whenever I was about 15, 16 years old. It was 1987, and I actually had a face-to-face encounter on the Sabine River with uh, – Bigfoot, for for lack of a better word, I really don't know how big the feet were. (laughs) I wasn't looking at the feet because this thing was was standing in front of me, and uh, that really started my my quest for for knowledge about this creature. With that uh, first encounter, would you mind telling us what happened? Oh, not at all. Um, Some friends and I were camping out. We have a cabin on the Sabine River, 
and there's one road in, and it's several miles down this one road behind a locked, actually three locked gates you have to go through to get there. So the only other access to this property is either up or down the river or down that one road. So we were camped out at our camp house, and we had caught a bunch of catfish that day and came back with an old hand pump well. And we had cleaned those catfish at that old hand pump well. And as teens, what we would do is we would leave the entrails, the guts, on the ground next to that well. And then later at night, we'd go back over the flashlight, and if the raccoons or something was eating on them, we would shoot the raccoons. I sold uh, furs as a team back in those days. You could get $25 for a good raccoon hide. So that's how I made some of my spending money. So we had skinned the fish. We left them there. We went and ate our fish. About two or three hours later, I told my buddies, hey, let's go see if we can shoot a coon. And my buddies were like, man, we're not that mad at them. You know, our bellies are full, everything, this fire's warm. You go ahead and go back. You know, do what you want to do. We're not mad at them. So I grabbed my little twenty two rifle and flashlight, and everybody's got to remember, back in the 80s, we did not have these bright, uh, you know, 1,000 lumen and, and stuff flashlights like we have now. The cheapest little dinky flashlight today is brighter than the best flashlight you could get then. So you had a flashlight, you know, that had two C or D cell batteries and had a yellow bulb. So I walked over with my 22, and as I got close to where the entrails were, where the guts were, I could see that there was something there big mounted up. Now, in my mind, I was like, okay, that's either two or three raccoons kind of on top of the guts eating together, or it might be a feral hog. So I raised my rifle and, and approached very slowly, and as I got close enough for my light to really illuminate what was there, whatever was there noticed me and stood up, and it stood up on two legs. And in my mind, of course, I did not go to Bigfoot. I went to, you know, somebody's playing a trick on me. So I said, you know, I don't know who you are, but, you know, this ain't funny, and I'll shoot you. And it just looked at me. I took a couple of steps. I'm still shining it. I can see its face now really good. And I'm looking at this, and, and back in the day, nobody talks about Bigfoot, but there was tales of old hermits that lived down in those river bottoms. Uh so I, I thought, well, maybe that's what this is, you know, unshaven, you know, old guy with his hair kind of, you know, frizzy and messed up. So I said, mister, I don't know who you are, but I'm fixing to kill you. And as it looked at me, I remember looking into its eyes. And, I mean, there weren't these black doll's eyes that some people try to say, oh, Bigfoot's eyes, you know, and they were black and all this. No. You could see the whites of the eyes, the sclera. You could see that. Kind of yeah. – yellow looking in the light, you know, but you could see it, and you could see that it, it, it had color and everything in its eyes. And as it looked at me, and I spoke again, and I said, Mr., I will kill you. And it took three steps backwards, toe to heel. I distinctly remember toe to heel. And that three steps backwards got it into the edge of the woods. And when it got in the edge of the woods, it turned and walked away slowly. didn't run, turned and walked away slowly. Well, I went back over to the campfire, and I told my buddies what I saw, and they're like, yeah, right, tell us another one. You know, you're trying to scare us, bull crap, blah, blah, blah. And so that night we all went to bed, and I didn't sleep. I laid there in my bunk clutching that little twenty two rifle in my hand. I mean, Lord knows that if I would shot it with that twenty two rifle, that wouldn't have done nothing that made it mad. But, you know, next morning woke up, 
first, as soon as the daylight, I said, come on, y'all, come on. And we went over to where the well was, and in the mud there where we had pumped that old well to clean them fish, there was tracks, bare, human-looking, you know, five-toed, human-looking prints. And I wear a size 14 triple E boot. I could take my foot, and I had it on tennis shoes at the time, and I could step inside that footprint. And I told my buddies, I said, see, see, I was telling you, and they were like, yeah, whatever, you know, you you were over here last night, and you made that print. And I went home and told my parents, and, and they kind of were like, what were y'all drinking? You know, so I didn't tell anybody because everybody made fun of me, so I quit telling people. And probably about uh, 10 or so years later, on the exact same piece of property, about a mile away, my father and I had a similar incident, but it was our fish had gotten – something stole our fish in the middle of the night, and the it was 34 degrees that night. And there were bare human-looking footprints all in the mud around where our fish had been out in the water in what we call a live box. And you put your fish in it and float it out in the water so they stay alive. And so my dad, he just looks at me and he says, man, it was true. And I said, what's that, daddy? And he said, that story you told, all that stuff was true. And I said, yeah, it was true. He said, because, you know, no, no, nobody in their right mind, no human beings out here barefooted wading around in, in ankle-deep mud in 34-degree weather. Right. So those two incidents really put me on my path. That is an awesome story. I <laughs> thought I lost signal. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I, I was sitting there imagining the, you know, standing there next to the well, looking at it. <clears throat> so, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, I was only, I was only probably, you know, twenty-five feet or so away from it at that time. <laughs> that. That's pretty close. Yes. So uh, what are some of the other encounters that you've had? A few years ago, I was on the same piece of property, which I'm going to be on this property a lot because it's my property. So, you know, we're always – we hunt and fish and do all of our stuff on this property, several, several hundred acres. And – my father wanted me to go and see if there were any mayhaws for us to make jelly. And mayhaw, if people don't know, it's a little apple-looking fruit that grows down in the dried-up slough beds and things like that in the river bottoms. So me and my dad went down and stopped at the truck and got out, and I got my rifle and my camera. Because, you know, we got feral hogs so bad down here, I mean, you don't hardly go in the woods without a gun. Not because you want to shoot Bigfoot, but because, you know, you could get eat up by a hog. You know, we've recently had people that were actually killed here in Texas by feral hogs. So Mm -hmm. um, I started walking down the slough, and I got probably 150 or so yards, and I was walking down a hog trail. And I heard something crash in the bushes to my left. And I went over to see what crashed in the bushes because I thought, you know, maybe it's a hog over here in the bushes or something. So I looked, and while I could see a big stick, probably about big round as a soda can, and maybe about two and a half, three feet long, 
And I looked up in the canopy of the trees, and there's no limbs above that were big enough for this to have come from. And so as I'm standing there looking at it, I hear a loud thud behind me. And when I hear that loud loud thud behind me, I turn around. I turned around, and <laughs> that's where it was. It was sitting right behind me. It was like it cushioned itself with its knees whenever it jumped, and it landed, and it was kind of sitting on its heels, and its palms were flat on the ground. Now, if anybody's oh. ever tried to do that, I would suggest you try to squat down, bend at the knee, and sit on your heels with your butt, and try to put your hands flat on the ground without leaning forward. Almost impossible to do that. But this thing was sitting there like that. And I reached for my gun immediately. And I reached for my gun, and it was looking up at me. And I dropped my, I let go of my gun. Something in me just said, you know, what are you going to do, shoot it? You know, and I'm against that. So I reached to grab for my camera. And I grabbed my camera, and I, about the time I grabbed for my camera, it took off running. And I played college football. I even played a little semi-pro football way back in the day. And I played ball with some really fast individuals. And none of them could have kept up with this creature as it took off running. And I I started just clicking photos with my camera, and I got a couple of blurry blob squatch photos that I really don't show anybody because I don't believe in blob squatch photos. But there were tracks there. I took pictures of the tracks, used my knife, my pocket knife for scale of the tracks and things like that, and went back to the truck. And my dad's like, Where are the, where's the Mayhalls? And I'm like, man, you don't – ain't none out there. <laughs> we got, we're done. <laughs> and uh, that, that was like uh, a very – uh, very intense uh, moment. It probably only took 30 seconds for every bit of that to to uh, happen, but it seemed like it took forever. It, it was like time went in slow motion almost. What uh, what color was it? The actual color of the skin was kind of a mahogany color. Uh, but it had been wallowing in the mud because summertime in East Texas, and there's a lot of mosquitoes and deer flies and things. So there was a lot of the gray uh, river bottom, what we call gumbo mud, that was covering its fur. Its fur hung almost like dreadlocks because of the mud caked up on the fur. Now, we're not talking about a thick fur coat because I'm telling everybody, if you hear a story of anybody saying they saw a Bigfoot in East Texas, in July and August, or any time in the summer, it doesn't matter when it is, May, any time, and that creature has a full fur coat on, be very skeptical because you can't survive. Imagine if you went out, you put on the heaviest coat and insulated pants and all of that and went out in the hottest part of the summer. How long would you last? Not long. Not very long. So this thing, the, the the hair was very sparse, but what hair it had was long, and 
was clumped with the mud, so it, it hung kind of gray looking as it because it was dry. Um, and the face was uh, mahogany brown, and was almost it almost had a shiny aspect to it, kind of oily look to it. Very broad nose with very large nostrils, but the only thing I can attribute it to looking like is if you've ever seen any pictures from back in the early uh, 1900s, late 1800s of the Australian Aboriginals and how they looked in the face. Yeah, That is a very, very close representation to what this creature looked like in the face. Uh, large lips, but not, not ape-like. We're talking about you know human parameters here, but on the large side of human parameters. The nose uh, still shaped like a human's nose, looked like a human's nose, but very flat, very broad, large nostrils. Forehead, the same thing. There was no big cone on the head or anything like that. I mean, we're talking in a in another setting. Had it spoke English to me, I would have said that I was meeting an Australian Aboriginal from the way it looked, except for the long, longer hair hanging. And I don't want to say fur because this looks like hair, you know, because there's a big difference between hair and fur, um, right? And how it and how it uh, uh, grows on the body and different things like that. So th- this animal, uh, this this thing just was there. I mean, it's weird. I mean, it looked very human, but at the same time, not human. And when I when people hear me say that, they're like, "Oh, they're not humans." But I'm not necessarily saying they're humans. I'm just saying. When you have to say something looked similar to something, they had a very homo sapien look to them, but maybe more of a Neanderthal or something like that look. Um, it, it, I, I really can't say there's anything other than an Australian Aboriginal that even looks close to. I get your point on uh, uh, saying, you know, it describe trying to describe it, and people getting confused saying it, you know, it can't look human because it's not human, but it's it's the closest thing that you can just, you know, contribute. Well, it if to you think almost. about, you know, different uh, animals in the animal kingdom, you know, there's only a what is it, point four percent? Don't quote me on that because I'm not. An, an anthropologist, but there's a very a less than one percent difference between us and chimpanzees in our DNA. There's just a slightly bigger difference between us and orangutans, and things like that. Hmm. There are monkeys out there, um, bonobos, and all of these kind of things like that out there that have two arms, two legs, five fingers, five toes. They have two eyes. They have a nose. They, you know, if you really think about it, they they are very close to to us in our DNA. And what if you had a creature that was just maybe less, maybe point oh two percent or point zero zero two percent difference in DNA? It still may not be human, but it would have very humanal humanistic character. Characteristics. Excuse my. Excuse me. I'm getting tongue tied. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you've got a point. Uh, I had a, I had a question, but I, it completely just 
flew right out of my mind. Uh, I have that effect. <laughs> what? I said I have that effect what on you? people. <laughs> um, so all all of your encounters have happened in Texas, right? Yes. All all of my encounters has happened in Texas, and all of my research goes on in Texas. Okay. Um, you know, kind of kind of figure. Here's one of my things. I'm a Texas guy, born and raised in Texas, and my encounters were in Texas. As much as the Pacific Northwest and things like that intrigue me, why would I go to the Pacific Northwest whenever there literally are just as many Bigfoot sightings in East Texas as there are in the Pacific Northwest? If you look at the map of Bigfoot sightings, East Texas and – West Louisiana and all of that right up through there, through to Arkansas and stuff, it is just a solid green map right there with Bigfoot sightings. Right, yeah, that's like I eventually would like to go up to the Pacific Northwest, but at the same time I'm like, you know, southeast Oklahoma is four or three and a half hours from me, and there's plenty of sightings down in that area. Exactly. And, That's what I'm saying. That that corridor that goes all the way from like, um, you know, lower East Texas, like Sam Houston National Forest and stuff like that, and goes all the way right up that whole uh, border between Texas, Louisiana, then Texas and, and Arkansas and Oklahoma, and just right up through that area right there is, is just a huge amount of sightings and reports mm-hmm. and just all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Um, I actually had somebody tell me recently, um, why would you travel so far whenever you have such, you know, you have Honubi and places like that right near you? I'm just like, I mean, that's a good point, I guess. (laughs) Well, I guess one way I look at it is, you know, um, since we have to work for a living, money is a very – important thing and when you have very limited funds to do your research and things like that if i had to travel Mm -hmm. say to the pacific northwest which is beautiful country great lots of sightings it is a hotbed of happening and and it's great nothing against it but if i had to spend a thousand dollars to get there Mm -hmm. and then do my research and come home i'm broke but I can stay here, and I could put that $1,000 to game cameras and to microscopes and to, you know, different pieces of equipment, thermal uh, imaging, scopes, and, and things like that that I could use here instead of right. spending mm-hmm. all my money to go there and travel and do my stuff there. So I just feel like I would rather, you know, stay here, spend my money on equipment and bettering my Ability to research what I've got right here in my own backyard. No, that's a great way to put it. So, uh, speaking of game cameras, do you think that they uh, Bigfoot can see the infrared on the trail cameras, or do you think they just? Uh, I personally, I think they might hear the little, the little, 
the sound of it taking the picture. But I'm, I'm not 100% sold that they can see the IR. What's your opinion on that? I have my own theory, and this is pretty much my theory, and um, discussed it with a lot of people that are like-minded. But I honestly believe there's precedent in the animal kingdom with other animals for Bigfoot to be able to sense the electromagnetic field, uh, bioelectric, and and hence uh, be able to sense batteries and be able to sense things like that, power. Um, Echidnas, uh, platypus, um, sharks even. Um, There's just different animals in the animal kingdom that have the ability to detect uh, different uh, uh, fields. And in my theory, I think that Bigfoot creatures can sense that these uh, cameras and things have power. They have batteries in there, and therefore the batteries are creating an electric field. And I think they can sense that. And I will cite a uh, study done here in Texas by Texas Parks and Wildlife where uh, – and I may have that wrong, but who did the study, but I do believe it was Texas Parks and Wildlife – where they put out trail cameras trying to get pictures of coyotes, and they noticed that they never got a photo of the alpha male coyotes. They always got pictures of subordinates and females and things like that, but they never got pictures of the alpha males. There's more to it than that, but that's the gist of it. And, you know, is it because, you know, they could sense that those cameras were there? Can they smell that, you know, people touched it? Bigfoot may do that too. They may smell better than we do. I don't think they smell a whole lot better than we do, given the size of their nose and things like that, which don't lend to them being like super highly sensitive to smell, but I think they can smell, you know, way better than we can. Um, Probably not good as a dog or something, but way better than we can. So, you know, I think it may be more than one thing there. I think they can sense the bioelectric field or the electrical field that these cameras put off. Also, I think they can smell where humans have been because one thing that I push a lot in my my lectures and different things is scent control. And people say, oh, there's no way you can fool an animal's nose. No, there's not. You can't fool an animal's nose 100%, but you can make yourself less offensive. If you're going in the woods and you have taken a shower with your Old Spice body wash or Axe body wash, you shaved with – a uh, real good smelling shaving cream, and afterwards you threw some aftershave on your face to cool it down. Um, you put on your clothes that were washed in, you know, perfume, uh, laundry detergents, and dryer sheets that smell like lavender and flowers, and all of that kind of stuff. And then you walk into the woods to put up your trail cameras. Odds are, nothing's fixing to come to those cameras. You've got your camera in the truck. You got a air freshener stuck in the air conditioner vent of your truck that smells like some kind of perfume or flowers or fresh linen or whatever, and that camera is sitting there soaking up those smells. And you go out yeah. and slap it on a truck. And so I think an animal that has spent its entire history of its being staying away from man because it knows that man equals death. Everything that human beings, everything that man has touched, it has killed, it has cut down, it has burnt, it has destroyed. These creatures are as smart as we are, if not smarter. 
they probably have IQs in the, I would probably say in the 100 to 130 range, except instead of spending all of their time wasting brain cells on stupid stuff like video games and telephones and TV shows and all of that, they have spent all of their time in learning how to stay away from us. And yeah, I mean, I guess I hope that answers your question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I just wanted your opinion, and uh, actually to speak on your uh, how you believe that they could, or it is actually proven that some animals can see the electromagnetic field or fields that we put off. Um, I forgot what the company is called, but uh, there's a new uh, camo brand uh, that has made a camo pattern, and the fabric is supposed to block your magnetic field, allegedly. Allegedly. Look, you know, deer, white-tailed deer, they do not see the same colors as we do, but they do have rods and cones in their eyes, so they do see some colors, but because of the the way those are made, and I'm not a doctor, so I'm just going by what I read, um, but because of what they have in their eyes, they see the color blue like we see the color blaze orange. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that could be, you know, one of the things, you know, here we are going out there for Bigfoot, and we're putting on camo, and we're putting trail cameras around trees that are, you know, green and camouflage and all that kind of stuff. You never know. They may see green shining like the brightest yellow you ever saw in the world. <laughs> we don't know. We have no way of knowing. Yeah. I know that. But I do know. I know that I know this. this sounds silly, um, uh-huh. but the way I feel about Bigfoot, and I don't believe this is real in any way, but the way I feel about them is like people trying to sneak into the woods and oh, I gotta be real quiet, sneak up on them. The way I feel about Bigfoot is that they're like the predator, and they just see this massive heat signature coming at them, like, and not just visually, but through their smell, sense of smell as well. They smell this old spice, um, the oil you use to clean your gun with, the breath mint you just yeah. put in your mouth, or the old coffee yeah. on your breath. Like, and I feel like they smell this. Get up and brush your teeth that morning, you know. Yeah, they smell everything that you're, like, they smell you from a, quite a ways away on top of, like, your heat signature, which I know they can't see in heat signature. I'm not saying that they can't, but that's what I picture in my brain when someone's like, yeah, we got to be real quiet going in here. And I'm like, do you? So if somebody walks into your living room, but they're real quiet, you ain't going to notice them, right? <laughs> I don't know. Well, I, just, about I can't help but, like, picture them picturing things like the predator. It makes me laugh. Right. But if you think of this, how many sightings happen by people who are not being quiet in the woods, by people who are tromping mm-hmm. through the woods, hiking, backpacking, different things like mm-hmm. that? You know, the only difference, like with me, I do try to be as quiet as I can going into the woods and things just for the aspect of being le- trying to make myself less offensive. Mm-hmm. To these creatures Not because I think I'm going to sneak up on them Because that's not going to happen But right. because I just want to be Less offensive Now I feel that I have had the encounters over the years That I've had and I've never had a bad Encounter 
nothing violent or anything like that. And, and I think these creatures know that if I wanted to hurt one, two times I've had a gun when I have had encounters, and I didn't shoot them. I've been in these woods mm-hmm. since I was six months old, the same woods that I've had my encounters in. They know my smell. They know me. They know I'm not a threat, but at the same time, they still don't want anything to do with me. I'm not I'm not one of these people that think you can habituate uh, Bigfoot mm-hmm. because, you know, that that's another thing. I, I totally – anybody that says that they are sitting around the campfire singing Kumbaya with Bigfoot and Bigfoot's, uh, you know, coming and sitting on the back porch and talking to them and all that kind of stuff, they're crazy as a hatter. You know, I mean mm-hmm. – because let's just face it. People may say that they, oh, I don't want to exploit these creatures. I wouldn't want – if you knew that the most elusive creature on the face of the earth was coming and sitting at your back door, eating Rice Krispie treats with you or something like that, and you could get mm-hmm. proof, and you knew that you would be an instant millionaire. I'm not talking about kill one, but I'm talking about irrefutable proof. Mm-hmm. You – you would be an instant millionaire, and then you could take your millions of dollars, and you could protect the land that your big fit people live on. You know, you could do mm-hmm. lots of good with that money. You could do do anything you wanted to. But these people say, "Oh, I don't." I, I, he comes and and visits me every day, but I wouldn't dare ever. Blah blah blah. And I'm going, not true. Sorry, not true. <laughs> right. Right. And just just to clarify. Um... I think that when people, whenever you're researching, if you act like, you know, if you're just talking to each other and chatting, that's when they're going to be active. You know, that's when you're going to catch something is because, oh, they're distracted. Oh, they're making noise. You know, um, just like Michael Waldy just posted. Right. Act normal. Act like you don't know that they just threw that rock at you. But um, Michael Waldy, I mean, so he just had. He just had an encounter where, um, well, not an encounter. He had something that was watching him, and when he started his truck is when it started moving. And then he drove away, and it's it's moving, and then it didn't expect him to come back. And when he started coming back, um, it started moving real fast and ran over right over the top of the recorder. Um, but the thing Michael didn't Walton start moving until he started Good the truck. Time. He's a great guy. Great guy. We love him very much. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and he's a very dedicated researcher. And uh, But, yeah, we, you know, it just goes along with, like, so I noticed, I've noticed in my years of research that they like to distract you. They like to throw a rock over here, and then they'll move out on the other side. Um, so we kind exactly. of, and they use, they use our distraction to move out. You know, we start a truck or, you know, get to laughing about something. That's when they're going to start moving, when we're making a lot of noise. We had an encounter. It was actually my my son's uh, first encounter. My son and my adopted son, we were fishing, and we were camped out in our camp house down on the river. We had already eaten and everything, put everything up. We went to bed, and we were all just kind of laying in the camp house in the dark. And we've been laying there for a few hours and trying to fall asleep. And all of a sudden, you start hearing brush break across the road, the dirt road from our cabin. And then you hear these loud footsteps walking on two legs. You could tell by the way the feet, the footfall was happening. And where I'm at, there's no real big rocks where I'm at. But there are big rocks because we have uh, 
put rock on our road that was real muddy, and like the rocks that were too big to be in the road, we just threw in the ditch. And some of these rocks, you know, probably weigh 40, 50 pounds. So we're sitting there, and my son's like, what's that? And I said, listen. And you heard this thing walk, and then it stopped for a few seconds. And then you heard it walk, and it walked past our cabin over to the edge of the river. And you heard it throw this huge boulder, probably 40, 50-plus pounds, into the water, this big, loud ka And my sons are, like, getting scared to death. And I'm just laughing. I'm like, listen. And you heard it walk around our camp, and you could hear its feet in the leaves and things like that. And you could hear some of our dishes and things that are under our lean-to part where we cook kind of rattling around just a little bit. And then you hear those footsteps go another way, and they stop for a second, and then it walks over to the edge of the water and throws another big rock in. I do not know the significance of throwing these rocks in the water. Maybe it just likes to hear the kachug. I don't know. Maybe that loud kachug is equivalent to a wood knock or something as far as communication goes. I don't know. But I know that that's what happened. And my two sons are there, and they're just like, wow, you know, this really happened. It really happened. The next morning we wake up, and they're like, oh, my God, Dad, you know, that really happened. That really happened. And, you know, they were like 17 years old at the time. So, you know, things happen. (laughs) When you're just being normal. Yeah. And that's why I like to go out into the woods sometimes, and I take my backpack full of my camping gear, and I'll go out into the woods, and even though I'm researching, I don't act like I'm researching. I go out there and build my fire, and I set up my my little cook stove, and, you know, I'll cook a stew on it and let the food, smell of the food go out through the forest. And, you know, I I sit there and, and... go fishing in the creek and different things. But the whole time I'm sitting there fishing, I'm paying attention to what's going on around me. And I'm trying to be as, as less uh, noticeable paying attention as I, can, as I can. But, you know, that's when I'm, you know, walking up and down the creek with my fishing pole and I'm actually looking for tracks and different things up and down the creek. And those are times when sometimes you're walking through the woods and you hear something walking with you, mirroring your footsteps. Had that happen a mm-hmm. lot, and that's why you know I'm with you on that. I think you know, yes, we have to do certain things if we're researching, but at the same time, if you look at all the the accounts, all of the sightings, ninety percent or better of those sightings are not by researchers or not by people that's doing any kind of research in the woods. It's by people that are camping, hiking, backpacking, just out doing their thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I think one qu- Go ahead. No, go ahead, Lauren. Oh, I was just going to say, um, you know, again, that goes back to the people camping, hiking, backpacking most of the time are not paying attention. They're not looking for anything like that, you know. Um, right. The go out there the Sasquatch, they would know. Camping, just look. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, they're, they would the Sasquatch would know that they're oblivious to the, to anything that's not supposed to be there, you know, and whereas we go out and we're, we're looking at every shadow, we're looking at every single piece of movement, you know. Right. You know, I put it like this. If, if, 
if you've got an old wary, I'm a big hunter, so if you go out and you've got a big wary old buck, and that buck knows when hunting season starts, knows by the influx mm-hmm. of human activity, it knows by the sounds of gunshots, it knows by the smell of, like you said earlier, the gun oil and different things that have smells to them and all of that. And those big bucks hightail it for the thickest, gnarliest, nastiest thicket in the forest or deeper into the swamp, you know, where, where you really can't get to because they know that you're after them. Same thing with, these, with Bigfoot. You know, certain activity makes them know that you're out there after them. And so they go hide in the thicket. They, you know, lessen their activity. They get in the middle of the swamp. They stay one step ahead of you in some way, shape, or form. So if you just act like you're not after them, you're after something else, just having a good time, whatever, I think your chances of seeing something. Now, that's not saying you're going to get evidence or something for research purposes and, and all of this. And I've, I've caught so much flack from people that are like, well, you know, what kind of scientist are you, you know, that you're out there doing research? And even Dr. Meldrum has put the moniker on us of citizen scientist and almost kind of said it in a, in a condescending way. Um, but I'm a firm believer in the citizen scientist. Uh, even though I may not have a degree in anthropology or anything like that, I think I've got just as much educational background or anything else that would lend me to being a Bigfoot researcher because there is no course study in any college on Bigfoot. There's no cryptozoology degree. You can't get a master's or a PhD in cryptozoology anywhere. So, yeah, I'm a citizen scientist, but so is every other person that goes out there. I don't care if you've got a PhD. I don't care if you are a DNA analyst, expert, whatever. You're still a citizen scientist because you're out after Bigfoot. You're You're out after a creature that no one is an expert on. I agree. Especially, I mean, most people like it. Like you, you've spent your whole life in the woods, and, you know, I would, I'd be more apt to, you know, trust in something that you would say about being out in the, out in the woods than somebody that learned everything through just schooling. And, you know, they didn't get the actual well, live experience. I've been in the woods with bona fide, card-carrying, you know, degreed scientists that did not know the difference between hog tracks and deer tracks, did not know the difference between a buck track and a doe track, did not know the difference between a raccoon and a possum, didn't know the different signs that the normal native animals make. The sounds, you know, they hear a sound. What was that? Well, how can you be out here looking for a a creature that that science has not proven yet when you don't even know the animals that are proven to live here? If you don't know what sounds they make, what signs they make, what foods they eat and all that, I'm the guy that has been in these woods my entire life. Not only do I have 47 years of experience hunting and fishing and everything, these animals, but I also have a formal education based in animal science. I have, uh, my goodness, uh, just 
a lot of years of of experience in just different things. So when we go out in the woods and I go out with some of these people that, you know, for different television shows and things like that I've been out with, and they're supposed to be a Bigfoot, you know, for lack of a better word, Bigfoot expert, but they don't even know when they hear a uh, fox make a call in the woods, and they're like, what was that? Was that Bigfoot? And I'm like, going, it was a fox. They don't know the different sounds of a screech owl or a barred owl or, or any of these other animals. How can you research an unknown animal if you can't even identify the known? Mm-hmm. Exactly. So uh, here recently I just started uh, asking all our guests this question, and I'm, uh, I would like to know why do you go out looking for Bigfoot? Are you doing it for yourself just to see him? Or are you, I mean, you've seen him, so you know they exist, so you don't have to prove to yourself that they exist, but why do you do it? Why do you research? Now I do it just for myself, just for uh, everybody. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people have noticed over the past year or so, I have not, uh, I've not talked a lot on social media about Bigfoot. I have not been, you know, just flooding groups and different things with my ideas and all of that kind of stuff. I, I learned the hard way, one, that people steal a lot of stuff that you write if you don't have a uh, – copyright or anything like that on it but on top of that what i think it's not going to dissuade somebody that believes that bigfoot can you know cloak itself and go invisible and uh, is from outer space or whatever like that they got their own beliefs what jeff says isn't going to change it i don't need to change it so i go out for me and not necessarily to prove to myself that they exist But I go out because it's just like going hunting a big buck or going and hunting a bear or something. Um, I'm out there hunting, not with a gun, to kill these creatures, but when I find tracks, I'm excited. It excites me. It makes me feel alive. When I find hair or anything like that, it's not because I'm ready to spend $3,000 and send it off to some big lab somewhere. It's because I got my own microscope, and I can go back to the house, and I can look through my microscope. And on, you can find a big database online of what known animals' hair looks like under a microscope. So I can sit there and look, and I say, oh, that's a coyote, or oh, that's a deer, or that's a possum, or whatever. I can look at it, and it's a sense of my own accomplishment for me. And I have a certain group of friends that we are like-minded, and we discuss this stuff. Um So it's just enjoyment, just like somebody will go play poker on the weekends or somebody will go, you know, play basketball or or do any of those things. Uh, Going out and researching to me is is just as fun as as doing any of those things. I agree. I agree. That's a great answer. Because you're never going to get rich doing it. I'll tell people that in a heartbeat. No. People are like, oh, well, well, man, you've you've been on – you know, nine or ten TV shows, you've written several books, um, you know, you've been on all this stuff, and people have written about you and all of this and that and the other. You must be making a ton of money. No. I couldn't even buy a used four-wheeler for the amount of money that I've made doing Bigfoot stuff. And if you mm-hmm. take into account how much money I've spent, 
versus how much money I've made, I'm in the hole many thousands of dollars. Heard that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you speak to any of the any of the really good, any of the the, the greats, in my opinion, um, that you just can't wait to read what they write next. You know, Ken Gerhard, Lyle Blackburn, you know, Nick Redford. I mention those a lot because they are uh, very close friends of mine. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they'll tell you in a heartbeat, man. <laughs> they've never gotten rich doing this stuff. They do it because they love mm-hmm. it, and you know that's just the way it is. So, uh, do you have any speaking engage- engagements coming up anytime soon? <laughs> I will be at the Southeast Texas Bigfoot Conference coming up in May. And I'll be oh, speaking yeah. there, and I'll, I'll have a table and everything. So, if anyone comes by, please come by the table. Uh, I'd love to chat with anyone. Uh, uh, probably have some books and T-shirts and things there if anybody wanted one. Just uh, I just love everybody coming by and talking more than anything. I don't. I try to. I may sell the odd T-shirt or something, try to get some gas money back to go home on, but uh, <laughs> that's not the important thing. I just love people to come by and sit and talk. Well, you'll be seeing me down there because I'm. I'm actually gonna finally be able to get down there and get to that conference this year. So I'm pretty excited mm-hmm. about that. I'm gonna tell you, I've I've been there every year since it started, and it is probably one of, if not the best Bigfoot conference anywhere that I've been to. Um, just great people. I mean, there's always the best people in the world there. I mean, you got people, you know, like I said, Lyle is going to be there, Ken Gerhard, Nick Redfern is always there somewhere. Um, last year we had Mr. Bob Gimlin there, uh, Russell Accord. Oh, my gosh, and, and just on and on. The Sisters of the Moon, I think Shelly Montana is going to be there again this year. Um, you know, just a huge, huge uh, crowd of, of really great people. Uh, that are going to speak or that have tables there for people to come by and talk to and what have you. That's awesome. I, That's I've awesome. been, uh, I, I, uh, I'm actually going to have a booth down there also with my, uh, my work. But, uh, since I paid, I, I've been, I've been excited and ready to get down there. It's a great weekend. Mm-hmm. It, it, it really is. I mean, I go to a lot of Bigfoot conferences. I've spoken at a lot of them, and they're all great. Have not spoken at a bad one yet. But um, Russell Miller and and his wife Michelle put on a great uh, event, and uh, we got the the Squatch Dogs help them, uh, and uh, Osborne Walls, Kenny Walls. Uh, Big Dog Mendoza, man, they just, they helped them put this thing on, and you could not ask for a better event. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, So uh, I'll also be at the um, Southeast Texas Bigfoot Conference, so, or I should be, so um, that'll be great. And then um, (laughs) we have the Falk Monster Camp Out at the end of this month. Um, yep, so that's I'll the last weekend 
Yeah, the last weekend of February. So I'll actually get to meet you in person for the first time, Jeff. Yeah, I will be there. Pretty exciting. Yeah, I didn't mention that one because I didn't think it's going to be any kind of speaking thing going on. I think it's more of just a get-together. It is. It's just a get-together, although you know we're going to make you make you talk to us so <laughs> oh of course you know but it's kind of like you know footstock you know we have the footstock event uh, that i just spoke at uh, uh, a couple of months ago or whenever it was uh, back in november i believe and that's kind of a another deal where you know it's uh just a bunch of friends getting together and it, it's awesome you know that's another thing that's <laughs> awesome i think this is going to be something similar to that and just going to be camping and eating and talking and Having a good time. Exactly. Yep. That's, yes, I'm looking forward to it. So um, thank you so much for coming on tonight. Um, you've been a great guest, and we really appreciate you giving us some of your time and, and some of your awesome stories and, and uh, experiences. Oh, my pleasure. We really appreciate it. We appreciate I it. I enjoy and it we, much as y'all do, I'm sure. And uh, we cannot wait to see you at the end of February. I can't wait to see y'all either. Yep. All right. Well, we are going to call it a night. Thank you again for coming on, and we will yes, see y'all you. all next week. <laughs> see y'all. Bye. Have a great evening. All right. Good night, everybody. Bigfoot Radio.